The following production is part of the Play Some Video Games Podcast Network. Welcome to Board with Video Games, the gaming podcast that strives for the right balance of coverage for games you play on your table and on your television. You can think of us as the Halloween and All Hallows Eve of gaming podcasts. We're a proud member of the PSVG Podcast Network and still to be part of the Dice Tower Network as well. I'm one of your hosts, Kyle, and joining me on this co-op adventure, the guy who puts the spooky in Ghost. Josh, how are you doing? <laughs> uh, I'm okay. I'm coming. <clears throat> I'm in the middle of a cold, so apologies for cold sounds. Um, I'm curious about what putting the spooky in ghost is, uh, <laughs> and I'm, I don't want to know. Uh, um, but in regard to our show title, which people don't know until they download, uh-huh. um, to be introspective. Uh, yeah. We missed it last week, but happy third anniversary to Board of the Video Games. Oh, yeah, that's it's true. It's been three years. It has been three since years. Since we started. And we've basically done it every single week for three years. Except for that one week. When, Except we'll for that never one forget week. it, Donnie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty ridiculous. Consistency Go is us. key. Yeah, consistency is important. That is for sure. So do you have an idea where the title for this episode comes from? I don't, uh, you know, y'all tell me and I will, but, um, I, I don't, but I also didn't, I, I try not to look at your topics. Okay. So I can genuinely like react to them. So I'm assuming (laughs) it's related to one of your topics. Well, it actually isn't. I'm not going to lie. This one, I was struggling to find like a really good, uh, title for the episode and it might change like if something happens during the episode. So it might not be introspective and in harmony, but it could be. Uh, I just Googled things associated with the number 160, and apparently oh. in numerology, uh, that is what is associated with number 160, is being introspective and in harmony. And it has something to do with it being an angel number, because anytime you add the three digits of a number together and they equal seven, that is considered an angel number, apparently. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, that's totally where the show comes from this week, is that... Yeah, according to some numerology sites, uh, introspective and in harmony is associated with the number 160. So that is us. Well, I don't want to fight with astrology or wherever that falls in, but it seems to have lined up perfectly. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I think bored with video games, I think introspective and harmonious. Totally. We're very introspective. Well, I would say we're probably introspect- introspective people. Um, yeah. uh, so it kind of does. F- I don't know that I've ever felt any sense of harmony ever, but <laughs> <laughs> I can at least relate to the introspective part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting, though, because you talked about how you're feeling a little bit under the weather. Yeah. And before we started the show, we were having some audio issues. Like your audio was just a little weird. I guess. Yeah. And here's the funny thing. I feel like I sound super echoey today. I don't hear it. Right. And I don't know what's going on. Like, I checked my audio and it's all fine. But listener, if our audio is weird this week, I apologize. 
it's Me been, a, too, been an odd start because <laughs> things have yeah things have not gone we checked everything and it sounds fine but as i am recording right now it sounds a little echoey so i don't know yeah hopefully it's not <laughs> and if it is oh well <laughs> well i'll do the best i can to fix it in post but we'll see <laughs> so uh josh the other thing i was gonna say before we get started with the actual regular show, actually two things. Number one, huh. uh, it's getting cold now, Josh. And while I'm usually a big fan of the getting cold, when I'm cold and tired, I'm not a huge fan of it. Okay. That's all. That's all I want to say. Because I know you talked about how it was very nice that it's cooled off. You're enjoying the fact that it's cooled off. Yes. I, in general, agree. Though I feel like I could take a nap basically at any moment, at all moments of the time that mm. I'm awake. I think that's frustrating when you can't take a nap, yes. But, you know, and I should say pre, pre-having pre a kid, I lived for um, cold, day, like cold, tired days because I would just get on the couch, cover myself with two blankets, put a movie on, and fall asleep in the middle of the day. Can't do that anymore. So I get get what you're saying. (laughs) And even, I think last week, my uh, parting gift, my um, well-rounded life was all about uh, fall naps. Like, I I usually am a fan of that. I just, I can't do it. I just can't do it right now. And it's a bummer. So now I'm just like resenting it. No, I hear you. And, And something they don't tell you before you sign up to be a parent is you don't get to be sick anymore. Uh, which is a big bummer. <laughs> <laughs> well, isn't it even worse than that? Is that you totally get to be sick? It just doesn't matter. No, you are sick, but you don't right. get to be sick. <laughs> oh, okay. I guess that's you don't. The way to put you it, don't get was... to have soup and curl up in bed. You don't get to even lay on the couch. It's not possible. <laughs> uh, that's that's the biggest bummer. Uh, yeah, and and yeah, yeah. It, you know, it is. What it, is. it doesn't help that with COVID and feeling sick. You also add a new level of paranoia to everything. You know, your wife checks her temperature and the kid's temperature and your temperature seven times a day and freaks out and, (laughs) you know, no big deal. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I had some, I mean, it's not going to be a huge deal because it's not going to impact when I'm playing it, but I got a a little bit of a bummer news because I was really excited to talk about at least opening up my copy of Pandemic Legacy Season Zero. Yeah. But then, you know, being a week before Halloween, it snowed and delayed my shipment. It snowed? Yeah, because uh, they ship from Asmodee in the Twin Cities, and the Twin Cities got like seven inches of snow. So like lake effect snow? Uh, no, they're, so, they're not on a, on a no lake there? up in Minneapolis-St. Paul. They just got I mean, they seven inches lakes. of snow? Yeah, they just got like seven inches of snow. Oh, Dude, boy. that's just like the way things work up there. Uh, that's usually... <laughs> A sign of what our winters are going to be like, though. And I didn't hear about it, so now I'm bummed. Because usually, it, like, <clears throat> we rely on, like, the Midwest, uh, not Midwest, the, you know what I mean, the central time right. zone to kind of tell us how our winters are going to be. And when it starts snowing in October, usually it's not, not good for us here. <laughs> yeah, it was very odd because even west of me, and even south of me, but west of me, they got like seven inches of snow a few days ago. Yeah, we didn't get anything. We had we got we had enough. You could see it was snowing, and then today we had a little bit of snow that like stuck to the grass, but like not measurable. But yeah, they we've gotten kind of the first measurable snow has already happened in our area, and yeah, it delayed my shipment till Monday. So now I'm supposed to get it Monday because uh, they couldn't get it out of Twin Cities on time. So 
So I won't be able to talk about that. So that's unfortunate. But, you know, not a huge deal. Probably won't play it till Thanksgiving anyway. That's kind of been okay. the Thanksgiving tradition. Uh, the first two seasons of Pandemic Legacy hmm. were, pay- were played over Thanksgiving. So I assume that's what we're going to do with this season as well. But so there's that. Nice. Also, Josh, really quick. I mean, kind of related, but related to the podcast, at least. I did officially get my code for my longest outstanding Kickstarter. <laughs> uh, I got my code for Raise the Dead. I have yeah. not played it yet. I did download it. Um and I'm looking forward to playing it, though the reviews for the game are not super stellar right now. Uh, which, for a game that was for a game that was announced before the PS, it's on PS4 and Steam right now, and it apparently is going to be ported to Switch next year. But for a game that was announced before the PS4 released, and now is releasing literally weeks before the PS5 releases. Um, I, I was hoping it might score a little better, and maybe I'll really enjoy it. And it sounds like. The bones of the game are very good. It's just there's a lot of technical issues and some really challenging difficulty spikes that occur throughout the game. It's um, first person. No, no. It's, a, it's like a. It's called Raise the Dead. Raise R A Y apostrophe S Raise uh, the Dead R A Y apostrophe yeah. S. I think oh. it's apostrophe S. Yep, Raise Raise the Dead. The first trailer was from 2014. <laughs> I told you. That was a long time ago. <laughs> Three days ago, launch trailer. So I have access to this game, huh? Uh, yeah, I downloaded it. Yeah, you could download it on your PS4. You totally could. Oh, never mind. I'm looking at the trailer now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like an isometric, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. It's like um, Plants vs. Zombies um, graphic style uh, for like character like characters. Yeah, that sounds right. Meets, a good way to describe it. Meets, oh, you know what it's like? It's like Zombies Ate My Neighbors. Oh, you ever yeah. play that? You, yeah, uh, now that you say that, yes, that would seem reasonable. Like I said, I haven't actually played it yet, but I'm still going to. I, I downloaded it. I'm, very, I'm just very curious of you yeah. know what six, seven years of development um, equate to. So Zombies Ate My Neighbors meets like Toad Jim and Earl, but current gen. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, cool. Well, I hope you enjoy it. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Anything else you want to talk about before we jump into the show? Which, here's it. We'll see if I jinx it. I think it's going to be a short show this week. We'll see what happens based off our topics. Hey, you know what? I say let's make it short. (laughs) Awesome. So thanks so much for joining us this week, everyone. As always, if you have any feedback, questions, or suggested topics, hit us up at Board with VG on Twitter or check out all the awesome stuff. Also over on the Instagram, Board with VG. We're a proud part of Place of Video Games, and PSVG is on Patreon. We are thrilled with the support you have given us there thus far. And if you'd like to monetarily support what we do, you can find us there at patreon.com slash PSVG. But the most important thing is just that you listen and maybe share our show with someone who you think will enjoy it. We're also a member of the Dice Tower Podcast Network. So if you enjoy our conversations about board games and would like to dive deeper into that world, we encourage you to check out the Dice Tower Podcast as well as all of the other members of the network. No matter what type of board games you enjoy, there's a podcast on the network that's right for you. Josh, before we jump into your first topic, I have one final question for you that is uh, content related for the podcast. So I want to get your feedback and then also ask listeners to provide their feedback to any of those social media things we just talked about. It's that time of, I guess I was going to say year, but really it's that time of years where we probably should think about doing our favorite games of the last console generation, right? Here's my question for you, though. We have a couple big games still coming. Well, I think probably one big game still coming down the pike that's about a month away still. Yeah. 
Do you think that we should wait until after Cyberpunk to talk about our favorite video games of the PS4 slash Xbox One generation? Hmm. And I guess, would we include Switch in that? Like, how do you think we should handle that? Okay, well, off the top, like, off the top of my head, I think, well, we still have to do uh, game of the Games of the Year. Yep. Um, and while the new consoles do come out in a couple weeks, they're... The current gen isn't dead, isn't done yet. So it's not. Usually, we have like a lull of topics in January and February. So I think in early next year we go back and take a look back. Maybe like February we do. Maybe like Valentine's Day we do like love letter to Xbox One and PS4, and we do our uh, favorites. I don't think we think Switch is still in their own little like bubble, right? So. Right. Until the Switch Pro is released, and I still don't think we should do uh, Switch One <laughs> when that's released. Uh, <laughs> um, um, but yeah, I think maybe if we waited till we have more time to play Cyberpunk and Assassin's Creed and um, even um, uh, Outriders, right? Like that's true. Games we may not even play a next gen. Um, and I almost included. There's even more um, control nonsense with next gen save transfers and stuff oh really i, I almost included it as that. a storyline but uh, i didn't because i feel like 505 is really taking it yeah <laughs> but they're also not given anything um uh so i think like there's going to be some some games that we might just still be playing on on uh current gen next year too so that sounds good we'll wait then I mean, or that's the plan. Let's we'll let the to listeners wait. chime in too. But yeah, I mean, I'm okay to, to to do our, a year end one too. But you know, I think that there's definitely still some games we have. We should give ourselves some time to play. Awesome. No, that sounds great. Okay, so the current plan then is we'll do a look back, a favorites <clears throat> of the generation, sometime early next year. Listeners, if you feel we should do it sooner, let us know, and we'll definitely talk about it more. But obviously, we'll still do our favorites of this year and all that good stuff. In December, so which is also not that far away. <laughs> I know it's scary how close we're getting to December. It is. it is. All right. With that, then, Josh, what is your topic number one this week? So, a new game in the Sentinels of the Multiverse verse is in Kickstarter, and I actually think it looks good. Uh, probably because they spent some time on the art. Uh, this is. <laughs> First, um, uh, sources from Dice Tower News. Um, it's titled Protect the City from Chaos. And uh, uh, Arcane Wonders is uh, in conjunction with Greater Than Games, two great board game companies. Um, uh, they launched Kickstarter for the next title uh, in the Dice Tower Essentials line, which is huge. Uh, Freedom 5, a Sentinel Comics board game, uh, it, which is designed by famed designer Richard uh, Launius, Adam Sadler, and Brady, the Sadler brothers. Um, the game plays one to five players, ages 14 and up. It's about 90 minutes. Um, as the title implies, Freedom 5, a Sentinel comics board game, features the Freedom 5 from the Sentinels of the Universe world in the game. Uh, players are working together to use action point uh, uh, allowances and dice rolling mechanics as they represent the heroes attempting to foil the plans of the mastermind while defending their city. 
the Kickstarter campaign, uh, still, well, you know, so that's, that's from Dice Tower. If you get the Kickstarter campaign, we have 18 days to go on a $50,000 goal. They are at $258,000. Uh, the only thing that has stopped me, well, there's a few things. There's a lot of Kickstarters right now that I want to back, but because of next-gen consoles, um, I'm having a tough time. Um, I think Veiled Fate is the game I am choosing to back, Um, and that's still not cheap. (laughs) But it seems like a game that after the pandemic's over and everyone wants to spend time with each other, this will be the perfect game to be that. If you want to back this game, $49 gets you the retail edition. But if you want the Kickstarter exclusive edition, you need to fork over $100. Um, and that's a big ask, I think. At least for me. 50 bucks, not bad. But I'm really... I think where I'm drawing the line is the difference between Marvel United cardboard pieces and Marvel United minis. The quality... I just don't know that I want to spend that little for the quality that comes with it. If that makes sense to you. Uh, that being said, I really dig the theme... I think the components look incredible. The deluxe box looks awesome. Like they really made everything fit properly. Uh, it looks like a game that's going to have great table presence. And you can even get pre-painted minis, which is also, I think, pretty big. The art is better in the comic, like in the rule book. Uh, better is the keyword I'm using. Um, but the actual art on the cards and the, and the figures and stuff, I think is leaps and bounds better than uh, what my biggest critique in probably gaming is, which is against Sentinels of the Multiverse. Of course, there's a bunch of add-ons. It really does feel kind of like a Simon campaign, uh, which I don't love. Uh, but, you know, that's that's my problem. <laughs> but they have a bunch more. They have a lot of stretch goals that looks like they're probably not going to hit. I expected it to make more money based on the love of this universe but this could uh, this could be pandemic presence this could be uh people don't want to spend that much for the game it could be a lot of different things but there's still just under 2,000 backers so it's still pretty successful uh is this on your radar what do you think and if it if you're not backing it what would what would they need to do to get you to back it well similar to you i am in a situation where i have most of my funds for the rest of the year as far as gaming goes Tied up into next generation. Like, that's where really my money is going to go. It, it, I have, as we talked about, pandemic, pandemic Legacy Season Zero should be here any day. Um, obviously, I ordered, pre-ordered that a while ago. But I just in a situation where I, I don't know that I can justify spending. And I shouldn't even say justify. I don't know if I have the money to spend on it, to be totally honest. Sure. Um, I, I, like I said, when I, I, when I made the commitment to go next gen, I think that has tied up most of my funds. It it is hard because I would probably want to get the $100 edition of this if I was going to, because it just does, it seems like the $50 extra is worth it. It seems like you are getting a lot for that $50. Yeah. But I also think about the fact that if this game is really good, I could buy it in retail, you know, a year from now because it's you know a november 21 kickstarter uh for 50 bucks and then i might have 50 dollars to pay for it right right, right. and i won't have to pay the 15 to 30 dollars for shipping so it's actually gonna be 115 to 130 (laughs) dollars you know so i am someone who obviously likes this world more than you do i i enjoy the 
kind of minutia of everything they've created here. I think it looks interesting. I haven't watched the video for about how the game actually plays, yeah. but just in looking at it, there's a lot of stuff, and I always really like games that have a lot of stuff. <laughs> yes. For whatever reason, it, I'm a sucker for it. You put a lot of things on the table, and I'm immediately more interested than I would be if there's less, even though I tend to actually like the games in actuality that have less more. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think it looks really cool. It's a, a good, as you said, really good companies, really good designers. The fact that it's part of the Dice Tower Essentials, which in general have been really quality games overall, it does have a lot going for it. Like you, uh, I'm kind of surprised that it's only at $258,000, which probably sounds ridiculous to some people. But this seems like a game, especially with uh, how much love there is for this universe and just for Sentinels in general, that I thought might be a little bit more popular. I don't know if the Kickstarter exclusive content is actually turning some people off as we're seeing more and more in the video game world of timed exclusive content that people are getting annoyed with. I, I don't know, but I, it seems low. Maybe this is exactly what they were thinking of, but like you, it seems like by their stretch goals, they're anticipating making more than they have. Yeah. There's almost a hundred, there's just about a hundred times more backers for the hundred dollar edition than there is. Mm-hmm for for the the citizen like the retail version so i think it is surprising um that they're not higher um and we'll talk about um in a little while we'll talk about a game that was probably unexpectedly more successful than this Um, right so it is interesting um yeah and i don't really know why and I, i feel like the dice tower essentials thing should carry more weight at least in this like situation like you would think that people would be drawn to it more for sure so you said that this is something you are actually interested in is it because just simply the art looks a little bit different or why are you more interested in this game than you have been in other sentinels games no i mean the art yeah the art looks like much 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 better but the same thing like you said the table presence it just looks cool like and and i a lot of times i back board games on kickstarters that just look cool like i you know there's very few board games I've played that I don't enjoy on some level. And even mm-hmm. Sentinels of the Multiverse, there is a level that I enjoyed that game on. But right. when you're constantly staring at a deck of cards in your hand and at a board and it looks <laughs> terrible, I, I, <laughs> I can't, I don't enjoy it as much. Um, so this looks like, I like the way, I like the setup of the board. I like how it looks like they have all these individual characters have their own character sheets and there's a city that has different areas you can go to where there's like lines drawn as far as like travel points. Like everything looks cool to me. And it actually looks like, it's not like a cluttered mess like sometimes board games can become. It looks very, uh, it, it it makes my OCD feel good. My, mm-hmm. like, my selective OCD. So, so yeah, I don't know, just something about it like clicks for me. Very cool. Speaking of, I know we're going to be talking about Kickstarter a lot, so I'm just going to insert this in here. And yeah. dear listener, unfortunately, this will be wrapped up by the time you get this episode or close to dark, close to wrapped up by the time this episode publishes. Uh, are you getting the Fantastic Factories expansions? Uh, I, w- I, you know, I was. I had about, I had three or four Kickstarters I had lined up. Um, I just backed Cascadia. Um and I had to make a decision. I couldn't keep all of them. Just, it looks like I'm probably just going to get currently the PS5. We'll see if that changes. I was trying to manage both. 
mm-hmm. that's not going to happen. So I had to really just kind of um, uh, kill some Kickstarters. And I, I'm not even 100% on Veiled Fate because they did a real quick turnaround on Kickstarter. I think they did a 16-day campaign. Right. So I was like, ugh, it's not good timing. <laughs> Um, so yeah, uh, but that, that definitely was on my radar and I wanted to get it. Um, Mm -hmm. but like, like freedom five, I have a little bit more confidence now of finding these games in retail. Right. So I'm not like, um, I think a year ago I was just worried that every game I kickstarted, I wasn't going to be able to find anymore. Yeah. But you're right. It does seem like more of these are finding their ways to retail and almost in some ways i i kind of want to support my local friendly local game stores a little bit more because i know it's it's been very hard for them and not that covid and the pandemic and everything hasn't been hard for all types of businesses in in many many different ways or for many types of businesses i guess i shouldn't say all uh you know and i'm sure we know that you know games are being harder to sell and, and Kickstarter has been doing well, despite all of that going on. It, it just really makes me want to support my FLGS maybe more than I have in the past right now. So no, yeah, I totally get it. What is one of the expansions for fantastic factors, a Kickstarter exclusive. I don't think so. I think that they are just, I think one of them is just fall smaller because there's manufactions and subterfuge. And I think subterfuge is just a smaller expansion, but I don't know that it's a Kickstarter exclusive. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, I do like that. They have a play mat you can get, which is yeah. nice. Double sided solo mode on the reverse side. That's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's something I'm definitely interested in. It's a game that's staying. I already, I can tell you that it's staying in my collection without having to play it again. Right. I don't think I'm going to, Get it. How many days are left in this thing? 48 hours. Nope. <laughs> yeah, it's just it. <laughs> about done. It's the one that I'm still hemming and hawing about. Uh, because that playmat is actually adding the playmat onto your reward is really affordable compared to how much playmats typically are. That's good. So I am contemplating it, but I have not pulled the trigger on it. But it is the one that's kind of there. So anyway, like I said, I know we're going to be talking about Kickstarter more. Anything else you want to say about Freedom 5? Uh, if you are into comic book superhero gameplay, check it out. Um, if you're into Sentinels of the Multiverse, it seems like a no brainer, but, um, um, if it can make me interested, (laughs) the game is probably (laughs) the best game of the year. (laughs) Uh, Mostly next year, we'll (laughs) say. So, yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, my first story this week is all about. Man, things are really not going well for Wizards of the Coast as of late, as they are now being sued for the recent cancellation of the Dragonlance books. So I'm going to take some time, read a little bit from the Polygon article by Charlie Hall over there. The article says, quote, Authors Tracy Hickman and Margaret Weiss are suing Dungeons & Dragons publisher Wizards of the Coast for breach of contract. According to court documents, the pair were working on a new trilogy of novels set in the Dragonlance universe, and at least one manuscript had received approval when the publisher pulled the plug on the project. So to start with, Josh, are you familiar with Dragonlance? No. Okay. I wasn't super familiar with Dragonlance either, and then I looked it up, and there's a whole bunch of these books. It is apparently extremely popular in the D&D world, which was not something I was super knowledgeable about because 
I'm just not as knowledgeable about D&D as I probably should be. So, anyway, apparently, like I said, big deal. These books have been around since the early 80s uh, and very uh, well-respected and well-regarded within the D&D world. So, continuing on, back to the article, it says Hickman and Weiss are seeking damages in excess of $10 million. And then it says, The Dragonlance Chronicles began at D&D's original publisher, TSR, in the 80s. The novelization kicked off in 1984 with the publication of Dragons of Autumn Twilight. And the original trilogy was rounded out with Dragons of Winter Night and Dragons of Spring Dawning. Goes on to take place about, you know, where those things take place and all that good stuff. But... The article then continues to say, according to documents filed in the United States District Court on October 16th, Hickman and Weiss alleged that in 2017, they were approached by Wizards to write a new series of novels. A licensing agreement was negotiated by both parties. There was also an additional publishing agreement with Delray Books, an imprint of Random House Publishing Group. One complete manuscript titled Dragons of Deceit was completed and approved, while the draft of a second book, provisionally titled Dragons of Fate, was also completed. So, Josh, to start with, sounds like a lot of work was done on these books, going back to what seems to be the roots of D&D and the D&D books that folks really seem to enjoy, and Wizards of the Coast pulled the plug. Initial thoughts. Why do you think this happened? Oh, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I feel like this is probably common in the publishing industry. Um, uh, <clears throat> it could have, so they said that at least one was approved, but not all three. So maybe they got the drafts and they were like, this is terrible. <laughs> I don't, like I, I did look up, like they're definitely very well reviewed yep. um, books as well. So, um, it must take something extra. Like when you know it's going to make money. If it's a, like you have your core base readers, like there's got to be something going on. Right. I don't know. I mean, we live in this world where we don't know how anyone's doing financially. Maybe yeah. Wizards of the Coast is suffering mm-hmm. and they can't afford to publish these books or pay the writers even. Maybe there was a meeting we didn't, weren't part of where someone said <laughs> something stupid to somebody and they're like, guess what? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Um it just seems like bad timing for Wizards of the Coast in general, but typically when people are willing to go forward with a lawsuit, typically it's because something happened that wasn't business as usual. Yeah, so here's more from the story. It says, quote, After multiple alterations and rewrites of the first book in the series were ordered and completed, on August 13th, Wizards informed the authors that it would not be approving any more drafts. Yeah, they don't decision, like the story. <laughs> that decision, Hickman and Wise say, effectively terminated the project. We challenged about the grounds for such termination, the lawsuit states, that Wizards legal representative, quote, responded with the nonsensical statement that we are not moving toward breach, but will not approve any further drafts. So basically, <laughs> they were saying, like, no, we're not, like, breaching the contract. We're just not going to approve any more of your work. Yeah, hey, translation, we think this sucks. <laughs> and we don't want to pay for more rewrites because they got to pay the writers for rewrites. Well, but my my assumption is is that there probably was like upfront money that they got. Oh, for sure. And then they would get some back, like, right? Like, oh, you get like X amount upfront. Then the first sell through, like once you hit 
break even, like then you get additional royalties after the fact. Yeah. So realistically, they were already out the money they were going to be out, right? Because like they've already yeah. paid, you know. And rewrites aren't uncommon. I think probably every book goes through, gets edited and rewritten and edited and rewritten. Yeah. The way it's worded, though, multi- multiple rewrites and sendbacks, like, it sounds like they're, <laughs> that sounds like there could have been a lot. <laughs> I mean, maybe. Usual. I don't know. Maybe that's just how I, it falls on my ear. Yeah. I mean, too bad they don't work for EA. Just one request for a rewrite lets them rewrite the whole thing. <laughs> Uh, it is interesting. Um, it is, I, I think if I think of it probably the way you're thinking of it, I think it's more interesting that they were like, yeah, we're not, we're just kind of (laughs) done. Like we're not saying no more rewrites. We're just saying no more anything. (laughs) Yeah. I do wonder if they realized through market research or whatever that they weren't going to make back their money ostensibly. So rather than canceling the contract or paying out the con- I should say canceling rather than just paying out the contract, yeah, they decided to on quote unquote honor the contract, but also basically sandbag it by just not approving any future work, right? So hey, we're not breaking the contract, but hey, no work's been approved, so I guess we're done and we've all done what we were supposed to. Good job, everyone. We're all gonna go home now. Right. I'm, I think I would be a bad business person because really, whether it's this story or any movie or anything, when I just feel like if I've put so much money into a project and I don't like it, just release it. What's the, what is the worst that's going to happen? We live in a world full of <laughs> terrible books and movies and games, but sometimes they're bought. Why just, just, take a loss on all of that money you invested. Just don't do any marketing. Just put the game out. <laughs> like, put it on Game Pass. Put this book on Kindle uh, Book Books Unlimited or whatever. Just get it to people. Why shelve anything these days anymore? Because <laughs> you could just do it as a tax write-off for a failed business expense. Yeah, that's why I'd be a bad business person because <laughs> I, I don't even know that you can do that. <laughs> and obviously, I'm oversimplifying the way that works. I totally understand that, but I'm just saying. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, like, yeah. yeah. So there is, you know, the, but I also get caught up in the whole sunk cost fallacy. I've already put this much money into this thing, so I might as well see it through, which, again, would probably not make me a fantastic business person. Kyle, so, I've watched a lot of bad movies in the past four months uh for for a decade of horror and those people they didn't give a care about what they released well, true. <laughs> in I mean, some the, situations and they're horror movies so of course they're bad <laughs> that's it though don't do i'm it. kidding i'm kidding i knew i'd get you there a little bit <laughs> don't do it i can see you but the listeners can't i, know. <laughs> I see your face <laughs> so yeah but this is just interesting i am actually pretty interested to follow this i haven't actually read the court documents yet because i'm a big nerd and i like to do those things actually because i find it kind of fascinating <laughs> yeah you posted a link to the virtual legality video i'm like uh no thank you <laughs> no it's, it's long but you can double check it out if you want to for sure um i haven't listened to it or watched it but if you want to you can go check out hogla he did do a virtual legality video about it that he goes very in-depth about all the things i haven't had a chance to see it yet though haven't had the time unfortunately work it's, it's crushing me right now josh but it's okay job security i suppose uh which right now <laughs> honestly I, I will totally take yeah so but yeah i'll be interested to see how this goes it just it seems like one more case of wizards 
really struggling with, you know, all the things we've talked about with Magic recently. Um, part of what they list, too, in the suit is they talk about that why they think happens this happened is uh says quote again from the polygon article the complaint alleges that the project was going well until early 2020 when wizards was embroiled in a series of serious public relations issues with its two marquee franchises dungeons and dragons and magic the gathering as well as a high profile claim of workplace hostility um so really they list that in the um in their suit about why this happened is that it was an attempt to deflect criticism of the, the the properties and they were really just trying to, you know, tighten ship, if you would, to try to reduce any criticism that might happen about the properties and that, you know, is not them uh, following through on their contract in good faith. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. It'll be very interesting to follow. Like I said, I didn't even know these books existed, but, uh, you know, they obviously were are very popular and, as you said, uh, pretty highly regarded in the D&D world um, for the story that they provide. So interesting to kind of follow along. Obviously, this will take a lot of time to play out because the legal proceedings never go quickly. But nope. one more thing for Wizards of the Coast to have to deal with, uh, in addition to printing a card game that they apparently can't balance. So, with that, <laughs> Josh, what is your second topic? Ouch. <laughs> Kyle, you got video games and my board games. Really? That's my that's my whole thing. That's great. <clears throat> uh, Frostpunk, the board game is a thing it is um it's not only is it did i put the kickstarter link in here too oh i thought i did oh wait i did what did i do here i don't know you, yeah I you totally put it in there it's in there yeah somehow i have the dice tower news link up and not that so uh via, via dice tower news um uh frostpunk uh the city building survival video game which is on uh, is it on PC and Xbox? I know it's on PC. I think it's also on Xbox. Um, uh, it's getting a board game adaptation that is currently on Kickstarter. The project is the first Kickstarter campaign of Glass Cannon Unplugged, which is interesting that they used Unplugged as well because we just saw another game studio use Unplugged as their board game adaptations. Um, and this is a newly formed endeavor focused on board game adaptations of video games. Oh, that also sounds so familiar. Um, the team involved also worked on This War of Mine, a game that you own that you haven't played. Um, Nemesis, a game that um, I believe uh, Mr. William Herkovitz loves. Um, we have not played. And Lords of Hellas, another very well-regarded board game that neither of us have played. <laughs> We're still good at this whole board gaming podcast thing. Um, oh, yes. I mean, there's so many board games. Um, in Frostpunk, the board game one to four players uh, lead a post-apocalyptic steampunk city trying to survive an ice age. Sounds pretty cool. In fact, I should probably download this and play this on my extra live stream. <laughs> um, the scenario-based game requires players to manage various facets of their settlements to eke out existence. Uh, each game consists of 12 days, and each day will have an event players must contend with. Sounds uh, dead of winterish. Um, the welfare of their citizenry is measured in tracks. Excuse me for hope, discontent, hunger, and sickness. Players can build buildings, research technology, and explore the surrounding frostlands. These actions will be influenced by changing weather, and require heat for the generator. 
The expansive design aims to create a modular sandbox system that serves as the spine of a book for memorable narrative gameplay. It's designed by Adam Kwapinski. Oh, this not wearing my glasses always a problem. Um, it is currently on Kickstarter. Now, this is what I think is interesting. The goal that they set was $237,249. This is a very specific number. <laughs> uh, unless someone was just sitting at a keyboard and was like, do, 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 do. I'm guessing <laughs> that there was a that's a conversion because we're probably seeing the dollars and i'm guessing uh, yeah. they are a european <laughs> company i'm guessing that's the conversion amount not what the actual goal was yeah oh no wait no it's not that it was yes it's a u.s conversion the goal was two hundred thousand. i think that's pounds euros two hundred thousand euros okay you're right so they had a nice even number you're right <laughs> um so that's American dollars. So uh, currently, they are at $2.16 million. Uh, this ends in three days. So you will have just the right amount of time to back this if you're listening when this releases. Um, I will say it looks super cool. Um, it in my mind, when I look at it, it takes what we know about Return to Dark Tower and what we know about Frosthaven and mixes them together. You have the tower in the middle, um, and then you have the, the the city building that you get from Frosthaven in this winter um, setting. Uh, the, the miniatures look great. Uh, you can get in on this game for... 89 bucks US dollars, sorry. Um, the deluxe is 149. You have an expansion for Kickstarter campaign backers, so you definitely have an exclusive. Um, I like how it has wooden pieces as well, which is nice. You don't see that too often. So wooden pieces, plastic miniatures, um, Catan tiles, uh, card tiles, really nice art on the cards, scenario packs, bags. Um, this game kind of has it all. And you have the ability to upgrade so many things. You can also get an app. You can play solo. Um, I mean, I really think like this shows what going all out looks like. Um, and the... the the dice, the cube tower is so cool and detailed. Uh, I really wish I could afford to back this game. And that I actually, I could probably afford to back this game. I really wish I had a game group that I knew right. I would consistently play this game with. Um, and I don't have that, especially now, <laughs> like where everything is uncertain, even to the point where I could be like, hey, Check out this game. Doesn't look awesome. Could we get, you know, I could probably manage that. Right. That's how I got Gloomhaven going, you know. Um, but I don't know. What do you think? Have you been tracking this? Did you know this was a thing? 
Have you played the game? Uh, just give me any and all of your thoughts. <laughs> so this is Frostpunk as a video game I'm aware of. I know some people really love it. Uh, you are. It is also on PS4. So Xbox, PS4, okay, good. PC. Uh, so available most places that you choose to play games. The backup real quick, I think it was interesting because uh, Rebellion Unplugged was the, the you, other Rebellion. company yes. who had done that. Uh, and they did a Sniper Elite board game. Josh, yes. do you remember how much that Sniper Elite board game on Kickstarter made? No, I don't. I had to look it up because I couldn't remember. I knew it had gotten a Kickstarter. It just ended back on September 1st, so it's really, relatively new. $122,000. <laughs> uh, was it successful? It was successful, yeah. Okay, that's good at least. <laughs> yeah, they were definitely successful. Just a little sh- shy of that $2.164 sure. that Frostpunk is currently... <laughs> Looking and, at, and climbing. And climbing. Here yeah. is what I wonder about this. Number one, is this people who are fans of the video game who are now backing the board game? Or because of the style of game it is, it is a game that works very, very well as a board game. So I'm wondering how much of this is just the board game fans who like really cool looking games. Again, talk about table presence. My goodness, this game looks cool. Yeah. With lots of miniatures that are really well detailed from a company who has done that very, very well with their previous games. You talked about this War of Mine. You talked about Nemesis, Lord of Hell is like games that have knocked it out of the park as far as table presence. Um, you know, the stretch goals that are unlocked with this include an app, include a soundtrack to give you like to yeah. play <laughs> while you're playing the game to give you that atmosphere that you're looking for. The big reason I never played the video game was a I'm not a huge fan of just strategy style games is it's just not my thing for the most part but also the game sounds super depressing which yes. i guess fits with the company that also made like the board game version of the, <laughs> this war of mine uh, it just is a super depressing game because it's like hey you have to connect to the reactor and all this other stuff so you don't freeze to death that's important i guess right like you got to expand to make enough room for people so that they can have places to live and don't die in the freezing cold like that seems really depressing <laughs> so uh but it looks really cool again i'm like you i don't have a group of people who probably would regularly play this i don't know maybe i would really like it from a board game perspective it, it sounds cool just in watching the video for it but uh, i just can't i'm trying to be better about spending money on board games that i know are just going to sit there until i can find people to play them with rather than buying games that i know i have people who will play them and this for me is in that first group of i'm going to buy it and desperately look for people to play it and then probably never find anyone so it'll just look really cool on my shelf Mm -hmm. but i'm really glad it's being super successful we have seen more and more of these video games come over to board games, as I predicted in our prediction show this year. <laughs> I feel like this one counts as another one of those that I pretty much nailed. But yeah, it looks cool. There's a lot of neat things they're adding to it. The miniatures look really, really nice. This whole like train thing that they are adding as one of their expansions looks really cool, which I'm sure if you have played the video game, you're like, yeah, dummy, this is what that thing is. <laughs> but I think it looks awesome in the board game miniature. So yeah, the generator as a cube tower, how actions play out, all the stuff, it looks so cool. And there's a ton in the box, even though you might kind of scoff at the price just of the base. Um, yeah. It, ooh, there's a ton in that box. So it, it seems to be worth the price of admission, if that makes sense. 
There's also a ton of press in early previews yeah. from like legit reviewers, so that probably helped them out as well. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, it looks it looks uh, very cool. Hopefully, I'll see it on the shelf next year of my FLGS, and perhaps people will be meeting socially again, and I will be able to buy it. So before we move on to my next topic, um, I I really thought there was going to be this other Kickstarter board game that was a video game that you were going to talk about instead. Oh, tell me more. Darkest Dark, Dungeon. Darkest Dungeon. I never played the board game, so I just figured I was going to leave it out. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Yeah, so Darkest Dungeon, obviously a really well-beloved video game, very challenging video game, uh, also has a uh, version of it on Kickstarter right now, board game version. A little more expensive to get in. It's 100 bucks. I think, is the base pledge. That is the general price of admission to get that base game. Now, granted, that base game, it's got a lot of stuff in it. <laughs> a lot of stuff in it. It is impressive looking. But it is currently sitting at a little over $2 million raised. Wow. With 11 days to go still on a goal of $300,000. So it is also crushing it. You have a lot of different options when it comes to these crossover games right now and crossover games that are, are doing very, very well uh, that people seem to really be appreciating and, and wanting to do. So, yeah, it's very cool. Um, Mythic Games is are the folks who are doing this. Oh. Uh, and they're pretty well known. Uh, like they did Mythic Battles, uh, Time of Legends, Super Fantasy, Brawl. So they've done a lot of different things. Uh, I think this is where Sam Healy went to work too, if I recall correctly. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah it's funny that you say that because their opening scroll on the Kickstarter page uh-huh. screams Mythic Games because <laughs> all you see is managers covering everything before you even get to the game, <laughs> yes. which is like so typical for like games like these which immediately <laughs> draws me off of them right <laughs> but but i mean i can appreciate the um the tie into the video game and stuff like that absolutely and there's a there's a becca scott does a how to play so um there's something yeah absolutely and like i said hundred dollars to get in but 72 miniatures in that hundred dollar box uh, plus, you know, all the other stuff. So it seems like a pretty good deal. Sounds like it's going to retail for about 115 So you'll be saving a little bit of money if you want to get in on this Kickstarter. If you're a Dorcas Dungeon fan, uh, they have made good... Uh, Mythic Games has made good stuff. Uh, so I think you can... And obviously delivered on those things. So uh, you can probably back pretty safely or pretty soundly uh, knowing that you're in good hands there. All right. So Josh, my next story... This is what I debated about whether or not talking about, but we're going to talk about it because I figured, <laughs> why not? And the story is coming from Den of Geek, uh, but you can definitely find it everywhere because a lot of people were talking about it. Maybe some people were dunking on him, but this story comes from Matthew Bird, who is not the person who's getting ducked on. No, it is Alex Hutchinson, who is the creative director of Montreal, uh, the creative director for Stadia Games and Entertainment. He suggested on Twitter that video game streamers should pay developers for the rights to stream their games. Alex Hutchinson said Hutchinson said on Twitter that, quote, streamers worried about getting their content pulled because they use music they didn't pay for should be more worried by the fact that they're streaming games they didn't pay for as well. It's all gone as soon as publishers decide to enforce it. The real truth is streamers should be paying the developers and publishers 
publishers of the games they stream. They should be buying a license like any real business and paying for the content they use. Now, Josh, this got people talking. The big thing that came was, or I shouldn't say came, but when he's talking about in there about uh, streamers worrying about their content getting pulled because of for music, uh, there was another round of DMCA takedowns given to Twitch yeah. just recently. So a lot of streamers had to go and remove videos or or take videos down. Some streamers, in fact, just basically deleted their entire history because they figured it was easier to do than try to s- shuffle through all of their past content to figure yeah. out like what they were talking about. So this obviously is a big deal. It's a thing that um is being talked about online a lot not only the dmca stuff but just hutchinson's tweets here what he said sorry the reason i got stumbled up there is that in this den of geek article um it says quote hutchinson's tweet seems to be a response to a to twitch's controversial handling of dmca takedowns which have impacted their streaming partners ability to pay li- play licensed music and other licensed audio content on their streams i just want to say really quick Maybe it's controversial because you don't think Twitch should do it, but if Twitch doesn't do it, they get held responsible, and right. Twitch doesn't want to pay out that money. So I, I don't know that it's Twitch doing what they're doing. I don't think it's controversial. If you hate the law, that's fine. Go try to get that changed. Twitch is just trying not to have to pay out a whole bunch of money because they're not holding their streamers accountable. So I don't think that's controversial. It's You might think it's stupid or it's bad or it stinks, but that's not Twitch's fault. Uh, so anyway... Right. My thoughts on that really quick. So, Josh, Alec Hutchinson statements. What are, you, what are your thoughts? Had, had you seen this before, this article? Had you seen people trying to, you know, be like, oh, speaking of paying for services, how's Stadia going? Which I think is what somebody responded to. Right. Um, but, yeah, what are your what are your thoughts on this? Well, I didn't even, like, this popped up. I, didn't, I don't even think I got into our Discord. This was trending on Twitter. Of which for video games in general to be trending on Twitter is usually very good or very bad thing. It's never in between. Um, yeah. So then I read what this clown said, and because <laughs> <laughs> I know how Josh feels. About uh, we just talked about Among Us, right? Right. Imagine mm-hmm. where this game would be now without streamers. Yeah. I also think like so DMCA like just like crippled YouTube recently too, like within the past six months. Right. Um, to the fact where like YouTube content creators either stopped creating or literally had to re change, like change their whole show. Even like a show like I watched like good mythical morning who has like 16 million subscribers. Mm -hmm. They can't even sing a song for anymore. Like even themselves. Like I, what I don't understand, I, if I play devil's advocate, right? Like I get, I get both sides, but if you are trying to get more views for your songs or games, right? I don't understand why you're trying to restrict access to someone like me who let's say watches a show and I hear them uh, either sample a song or sing a song. And I Mm -hmm. think, Hey, I never heard that. I want to find out about that song. Like, even if I'm one out of 16 million subscribers, doesn't that help them sell a song? (laughs) Well, here's the interesting thing, though, Josh, that on YouTube, for instance, if you are someone who does music covers, the ads that play at the beginning of those at those YouTube channels, the beginning of those videos, that goes to the original artist, not the person covering it. 
If they catch it. Like, but yeah, right, if but they're, any like, quote, if unquote, AI reputable channel it. who does covers, obviously, in order to continue to do that and not get strikes against them, right. has to basically say, like, hey, here's what I'm doing. Come take this ad revenue from me. Yeah, so, so they get demonetized. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, they, and like I said, so they have to do that in order to be able to continue to put up videos and all that good stuff. Is that really any different than streamers playing video games on stream? I'm not saying it's right or wrong or that it should work that way, but I'm asking is that uh, substantially different than me playing Overwatch on a stream? Yeah, I mean, it is. I know what you're saying. Uh, where it's different is that you paid, and I know we've talked about this before, like you, when you buy a game, you don't truly own it. Right. Um, but someone who plays. Um, Spiderwebs by no doubt on Qatar mm-hmm. didn't pay $60 for Spiderwebs by no doubt on Qatar. <laughs> so if you play Overwatch and you stream it, I think, I mean, there's a difference. I can see, like, <laughs> nope, sorry, the Spiderwebs that would connect those two things. <laughs> um, I get the strands that would connect those. I, mm-hmm. I do get that, but. Um, it's just such a, I know this word gets overused, but it's such a toxic way to look at this and just to kind of come out and say this out of the blue, it wasn't as far as uh, that I could find. It wasn't like egged on by anything. Right. And when you hold a position in any, like whatever, like, cause then there's like contradicting, like he doesn't like, he doesn't do what he says he does for Stadia or whatever. Or he works somewhere else. Regardless, if you work in the game industry, whether you physically like work for a company or review games or voice a game, like you, you gotta like relax. I know that everything is stressful and whatever, but this is such a hostile take to probably what was an inside conversation that he was having with somebody maybe (laughs) or or like someone who was trolling him um i don't i don't agree with him at all but i can see how corporate america could change that like i could see that becoming uh a thing but uh you know among us would still would have would have no players right now right if that wasn't for that one spark Right. Uh, it would just it would it would have died, and I think Twitch is the new game review, right? You don't open up a Game Pro magazine or DGM to decide if you're gonna buy Zombie Army Trilogy Four. Mm-hmm. You go to Twitch and watch it, and you right. go, "Oh, yeah, I want this game," or "Oh, god." There's no way I would play this game. This game looks terrible. Or you watch a clip on like PlayStation Store mm-hmm. or Xbox, but they're usually from a Twitch stream. <laughs> like <laughs> you're not watching gameplay from like the creator. So um I understand that it can be tricky monetarily between Twitch and the developers. Right. But I think um no press like bad press isn't is still press or whatever the stupid say there's no such thing as bad press um if your game is getting into the eyes of people that's better for you than no one seeing it right do you think that we can point to things like among us and fall guys and you know super recently phasmophobia so we've had a few of them stringing here in the last few months but before that i think it's hard to put 
I think it's harder to pluck out without a lot of thought games that got big just because of streamers. I'm PUBG, not saying it doesn't happen. What's that? PUBG, Daisy. Um, I mean, I think I still think there's a lot of games. Fortnite. Um, there's a lot of games I think that became big because of streaming. Now, could they have survived on their own because they're from bigger publishers? Probably. Right. Um, but like Realm Royale wasn't going to get more than a hundred people playing it <laughs> if it wasn't for Twitch. I know what you're saying, but I, I think that there's there's still a good group of people that were making like a success story out of Twitch or Mixer. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Rest in peace. But, it's spooky season. So my question though, is that, <laughs> but does the exception prove the rule? Right? Are we saying that, oh, this isn't a problem because look, these couple games, these, even if it was 50 games, did it. Yeah. And there's 50 games a day released on Steam. So are we, are we pointing at these and saying, like, look, Among Us was able to be successful because streamers streamed it. And yeah. as a result of that, that game is a success. So we just look to that and say, like, clearly this is shows how beneficial streamers are to games. Yeah. Or is that the exception? And that for that one game in this one time when all of us are stuck inside and it's the best, coolest way for us to interact with people that we have been able to in a long time, yeah. that as a result of that plus streaming, this has become a big thing. You know what I'm saying? Is it just because some right. streamers streamed it? So do you think if you love Farming Simulator and you want other people to discover how cool of a game it is, you should have to pay more to show it to people? No, I'm not saying I agree with that at all. Well, that's what I mean. That's That's like the counter, right? Like... Like these games were the exception to the rule, but if that rule was in place, you you generic farmer man who has right. a PlayStation Four, who loves Farming Simulator, which uh, ironically has a huge following it does. on Twitch, it, really does. Um, it may never that may never have happened. Like, uh, or like, you know, it just seems. I don't even know what the right word is. I don't think selfish or. Or greedy, or are any of the right words for how I feel about it? But there's just this thing about we're in this community of everyone's a social gamer now, especially mm-hmm. in the pandemic where you don't have friends mm-hmm. and maybe you want to go online to play and talk with people while you play. Yeah. And now people are like, "Hey, it's cool that you like doing this, but now." You need to pay us more money so you can do what you enjoy because we know you'll pay it now because right. you're already doing this. It's already an established thing. Do you think, to counter a question, do you think if Twitch only had 100,000 subscribers, this would be an issue? I, I like, do think. As a, as a channel? Well, part of me says yes, only in the sense of because. DMCA notices happen to people all the time who are just individual people who are downloading them stuff for themselves. Yeah, but this you is know like, what I'm like music, music. I know, well, it's but like that's also game movies, soundtrack. You know, and it's all, all movies it's, not too, just, yeah. it's movies. It's kind of Media, all that copyright, stuff. Yeah. yeah, and it technically can be video games too if they mm-hmm. happen to catch you. Which a little, the video game industry didn't work as when when I had the experience of working in this area that were had to deal with these. It was typically movies and music that they just had a lot more um, lawyers working on this than the video game industry did. So I very rarely got things I yeah. had to do with DMCA notices related to, to video games. But 
So that's where part of me says, yeah, I think it would, because who cares? They apparently cared when Johnny, who lived on second floor of my building, downloaded 40 movies uh, right. <laughs> to watch with him and his friends. They cared then, you know, so. I, but he didn't make a $60 investment on that film. Like, that's where, I, like, that's the difference. Like, this isn't someone stealing, like, a, this isn't a pirate bay situation. This is like. Well, you, I mean, right. You assume the streamers bought the game they're playing. Right, and I know that there's not necessarily a way to figure that out. Um, I mean, some games there are for sure. There should be license. There's like at this point, I think we're we're pretty good at like figuring out if someone has a license to a game or not. Yeah. Um. But yes, I don't know. I just think like what a world we would be living in if right. really this is something that now we have to deal with is like I don't know. It's just such a. It's so frustrating to think because like, yes they could at any point anyone you could buy a game tomorrow and then they could say uh they could pull it from the store like a nintendo mm-hmm. move and then you couldn't stream it anymore because they say hey well we don't sell this game anymore so we're only letting you use it in your personal right home you can't share it with anybody like right. those are all well within the the these 15 page which ironically happened at the beginning of every EA game I buy, um, <laughs> like user agreement that you have to scroll and scroll and scroll down because mm-hmm. they know you don't read it. And they're basically telling you what you can do with the money you just gave them. Right. And it's frustrating that that is a thing. I, I just, am trying to figure out a another uh, something else that happens in society that is equivalent to this. Yeah. And I'm really struggling with figuring out a, a way to draw an exact parallel. Like one thing I came up with, and I don't even know if this exactly works, and I don't think it does, but I think it's close-ish, is if you are a musician and you buy a, a Fender guitar and then go on tour and are on stage playing that Fender guitar and people have bought tickets and they are there and you are making money, like do you owe part of your money to Fender then since it's their right. good? But then it becomes, well, there's art involved as your skill that is making like the guitar doesn't just make the noise in and of itself, you know, whereas the video game like kind of happened. So it's not exactly equivalent. I don't think, but I, I think that's kind of similar, right? Maybe it's like intellectual property meets um, implication. Versus, yeah. Anyway. Um, or adaptation or application. Yeah. <laughs> like there's, it, it, yeah, I know what you're saying. And clearly a line needs to be drawn right because if i go out and invent a new keyboard i shouldn't get the profit from people who learn how to play it and make music from it yeah but i understand like i could also sit in the courtroom and say well that person would never have become famous if it wasn't for me right and and I go, it gets gross i think it gets yeah, gross <laughs> no it absolutely does and to be clear i don't agree with what he's no, saying. I don't I, think you do. I, yeah, I think it's absolutely. <laughs> I think it's ridiculous. But I, I, part of me clear, does Kyle wonder. Does though, not agree with me, <laughs> right? Part of me does wonder though for the streamers that I do follow, and most because I'm still old apparently and still play this game. But most of the streamers I follow are Overwatch streamers. So part of me says, okay, um, would I watch them? Do I watch them because they're playing Overwatch? Part of it's yeah. Like, I watch them because they're playing Overwatch, and I want yeah. to get better at Overwatch. But also, I don't watch every Overwatch streamer, right? I, I find the ones who, from a personality standpoint or whatever, I tend to jive with who are playing characters that I like in, in that game. 
so part of me says it, it is about the streamer as well. But then when I look at those streamers, when they stream variety, like once a week, like most of them do, the number of viewers they have is way less. So the fact that they're playing Overwatch yeah. does contribute to the people watching them, right? It's not, they can't, they wouldn't be able to be playing just anything because when they do play just anything, they have less people than when they're playing the thing that they're known for that, according to Alex, they didn't create. So should they be getting all of that? Sure. I mean, counterpoint, like, to, I guess to side with Alex, I guess, I guess, like, um, I don't want to watch anything Dr. Disrespect does, and I would, <laughs> and I would hate it if he was playing my game. Um, so yeah, hey, if I'm Alex Hutchinson, I'm like, cease and desist, Dr. Disrespect, send, uh, we'll send you a refund for the $60 you spent on Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Stop playing my game. Right. <laughs> Well, um, and I th- do you think yeah. the people who created Counter-Strike are mad that people are making money off of Counter-Strike still? I don't yeah, think so, because Counter-Strike probably sells thousands of copies a day still, because right, people right. find Counter-Strike on a tournament, or someone gets a PC, like, I haven't had a PC in 15 years, I'm going to buy Counter-Strike. Like, Overwatch is a game that's very similar to that. I yeah. haven't played a PC in years. I'm going to get Overwatch in right. Hearthstone. Like, these are games I'm going to get right away. Like, and the, this is driven by the constant relevance of the game. They would Rainbow Six Siege wouldn't have made it past Season 1 if it wasn't for streamers. Yeah. And now they're in Season 7. <laughs> True. Or more. I don't even know what season they're on. But they've been on around for like six years. Right. Well, and I think, honestly, uh, YouTube gaming head Ryan Wyatt sums things up, you know, YouTube, also under that same umbrella as Google Stadia. Ryan on Twitter said, quote, we believe that publishers and creators have a wonderful symbiotic relationship that has allowed a thriving ecosystem to be created, one that has mutually benefited everyone. YouTube is focused on creating value for creators, publishers, and users. All ships rise when we work together. I think Stadia said something, too. Yeah, I think to, to, to distance themselves from him. something else too. So yeah. Anyway, that actually was a more of the conversation that I was going to be. Thanks for having that with me, Josh. That was fun. That was great. I was. I'm actually glad that you included it. Awesome. Um, All right. What is your third topic, sir? Hey, Kyle, you put board games in my video games. <laughs> <laughs> um. The, actually, this was brought to my attention by Jason Lacey, uh, host, uh, co-host, extraordinaire. However, you want to categorize people of the flux deposed podcast check it out if you haven't um he does that with lucas rose of psvg prime and decade of horror uh we had some pretty i would say exciting news i'm gonna steal this steal this i'm gonna source this article from eurogamer by matt wales um mansions of madness is now an arkham horror game so Asmodee Digital, uh, they were working on a, well, they kind of did, but they were working on a uh, adaptation of Mansions of Madness. I think it started, it kind of stemmed from the Mansions of Madness second edition digital version of the board game, like the mm-hmm. app. <clears throat> um, so they had a, like a reconfiguration and they're now deciding to uh, launch... On Xbox One, PS4, Switch, and PC under a different title, uh, which will be called uh, Arkham Horror Mother's Embrace. 
So it was originally supposed to be Mansions of Madness, Mother's Embrace. Um, it was announced in 2018. Was supposed to release last year. Uh, but, of course, uh, we aren't playing that game. Right. Um, <clears throat> it's still basically uh, an adaptation of the Mansions of Madness board game, um, which I guess, <clears throat> if I want to sum that up, it is a kind of one versus all um, board game where one person plays the house and everyone else plays the investigators as they're trying to cleanse... I don't want to say cleanse the house. They're trying to to make it out of the house alive while solving these Arkham-esque uh, mysteries. Um, so, yeah, basically it's going to set you loose in a spooky old mansion uh, circa 1926. Uh, it's described as a squad-based narrative adventure game offering a mix of exploration, investigation, and tactical RPG combat phases set in the Lovecraftian universe. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, I'll lose my voice while I tell the story. <clears throat> Is that spooky? Uh, <laughs> there are 12 uniquely skilled protagonists to choose from in total. Um, they're all taken from the Arkham Horror Universe, which is uh, which mentions the madness is included in. So expect to have uh, Indiana Jones looking dude, a uh, dude with a dog, uh, doctor, <laughs> uh, all these uh, generic fun characters. Um, uh, as investigators face off against Lovecraftian horrors, they will descend deeper into the depths of madness, affecting the level of sanity and causing traumas. Um, in the board game, you can go insane. So I'm curious how they're going to make this um, happen in the game. Um, however, they say they do say at the end. Additionally, it turns out Mother's Embrace's actions won't just be confined to the aforementioned mansion. Over the course of its nine chapters, uh, the investigation will take players to shadowed institutions and mysterious locales, ranging from Miskatonic University the Arkham Asylum, and the Bayous of Louisiana. So it sounds more like... So Arkham Horror is a bigger board. You travel to a lot of different places, like the Silver Key Lounge and Miskatonic University and Arkham Hospital and Asylum and all these places. So it sounds like they're going to do a little bit more of that. Um, they showed they showed some uh, more of it uh we so we just like are at the tail end of um steam's digital tabletop festival and Asen spiel digital so i didn't include any stories from those because i figure next week will be a good time where everything has come out um but they did do a live stream of this as part of steam's digital tabletop fest um yeah, it's scheduled for next year, um, and we're only looking at twenty bucks for the game, which I think is promising. Um, it's probably doesn't sound promising for um, console players, but as a um, board game player who's played a lot of digital adaptations of board games, that is the perfect price where you know you're getting a full game, like Wingspan, twenty bucks. That is a full game. Gloomhaven, uh, 20 bucks. So that's a great price for um, board game um, uh, digital adaptation. So 
maybe that hints that this is going to be a better game on PC. Um, it probably sounds like it's going to be like pointy clicky to move your character around instead of a controller. So maybe don't expect... Uh, what was the one we just got? Call of Cthulhu... Um, oh, goodness. The third person adventure game that came out. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. Yeah, but basically that was like a full-fledged $40, $50 PS4 game. Um, which wasn't that necessarily critically like well, but um, I still have it. I think it was free on PS Plus or Xbox Games of Gold. Oh, it was just called Cthulhu. Okay, call it Cthulhu. There you I go. thought I had some sort of um, colon something, but no. Nope, like a moniker or something, yeah. Yeah, same idea. Um, so what do you think? Are you excited about this? Uh, is this... Well, actually, um, have you played Mansions of Menace or Arkham Horror? No, all I have played is... What in the world is the name of it? Elder Sign. Elder Sign, okay. All right, Which is so in the that's universe. Like, introductory yeah yeah i've always wanted to play them uh and this might actually be the best opportunity for me to play them if i'm totally honest because this is another game that i don't know that i have people in my gaming group who want (laughs) to play a game of this style here's my real i so i'm looking forward to this i think the price point seems good something i'm definitely looking forward to josh here's my question in the video game world how many people are going to think this is a batman game (laughs) because it has arkham in the title Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, people will probably be confused. Uh, Luckily, it's called Arkham Horror, not just like Arkham Mother's Embrace. So there's like maybe a little hesitancy to people. But yeah, I get it. Like people are going to be confused. But maybe they'll actually learn that Arkham Asylum is a reference to Lovecraft. Maybe they'll learn that now. Uh, it's funny because I just scrolled down uh, and the Eurogamer story that you linked for this. The first comment is, I can't be the only person who assumed this meant a Batman connection. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know what? <laughs> the second comment is Batman is a Lovecraft spinoff. That is not true. <laughs> it's not a spinoff. It is inspired by right lovecraft it is not a spin-off so that person immediately does not understand what a spin-off is <laughs> he got four thumbs up and no thumbs down watch this thumbs down <laughs> wow hey you know this is Eurogamer. that english might not be their first language they might just be doing the best they can they read books over there they're supposed to know lovecraft <laughs> but they just might not know like what's how to talk about spin-offs in english i'm saying <laughs> oh, okay you think it's a different <laughs> terminology okay uh, you never know you never know Okay. All right. <laughs> I like how they compared it to Project Gotham Racing. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'm excited about this. No, I I hope it's good, and it it, it seems promising. Yeah. I assume you're in on this. All in on oh, this. Oh yeah, yeah I am. I'm so in. Okay. Awesome. Anything else you want to say about uh, the Arkham Horror game that isn't a Batman game? <laughs> I think it's great. I think this is a game series that. Um, a lot of people haven't gotten into because of the theme. Right. Uh, I really think, I mean, the theme is certainly important. Um, but, uh, the, like Arkham Horror specifically is like, uh, is a board adventure game. Like you do have like a elder God that you have to fight (laughs) and 
you can get lost in space and time, which is always fun. Uh, but there's so much to it. There's so much more to it than um, just Lovecraft. Like it's like playing a Marvel game and just assuming every game is the same. So yeah. I think there's there's a lot more variety to Ar- to to Lovecraft games and Arkham games. But yeah, Eldritch Horror, Arkham Horror, Mansions of Madness, all great games. All very well. Arkham Horror and Eldritch Horror are similar, but Mansions of Madness is very different. Um, so yeah, uh, if you have the opportunity, uh, explore. Try to play one of those games. Awesome. And so much for this being a shorter show. Uh, my third topic. Is- I didn't think it was going to be. <laughs> yeah. I thought maybe we'd bust through those first ones, but we had a lot of good conversations about them. So my final topic is about a story that is on The Ringer currently uh, by Ben Lindbergh that says, Farewell to the $60 video game. The byline says the cost of games have remained stable since 2005 when Call of Duty 2 set the standard price. Now the last latest installment of the series is setting a new market, new mark at $69.99. What does it mean for an industry that's increasingly moved towards subscription services? So if you have the chance, I highly recommend just reading the article in general because there's a lot of good information in there. And we've talked a little bit about the new $70 price for some games that has have been announced but there's a few things in here i wanted to highlight and just kind of get josh's thoughts on as we go and, and talk about a few things in the article talk about the 70 other games um that are coming uh one of the one of the quotes in the article it says quote gamers jumped on board the call of duty 2 train 2 the new price wasn't without its detractors. GameSpot's review of the Xbox 360 version griped that the game had a, quote, higher price point than its PC counterpart, unquote. But the spike in price didn't stop consumers, who made Call of Duty 2 the 360's best-selling launch title. In December 2005, IGN cited NPD data that said 77% of Xbox 360 owners had also picked up a copy of Call of Duty 2. Ultimately, the sequel outsold the original. They were selling so many copies of Call of Duty 2 as $60 that the rest of the industry was like, well... Word I can't say. If it's going to be sixty bucks, <laughs> let's go to sixty bucks. Piscatella said. Um, for this article, they interviewed Matt Piscatella, who you can follow on uh, Twitter. Wealth of information. He is a market research. He is, excuse me, executive director for games at MPD Group. So if you want to know someone who knows a lot about games and how much they sell for and how many titles, how many copies they sell, uh, Matt Piscatella is a great person to follow. So Josh, to start with, hmm. Call of Duty Two. First game really to go $60. Games had been $50 prior to that. Back in 2005. Uh, does, this, does this surprise you that the game sold so well? Is it because it was the Call of Duty 2? Because there was no other launch games to get on the 360? Why do you think Call of Duty 2 sold so well? And do you think anyone didn't buy it? Or how many people do you think didn't buy it because it was 60 bucks as opposed to 50 bucks? Well, to answer the first question, I think Call of Duty 2 did really well because it was the first game that showed off the graphics of the 360 i remember i was building a best buy in maryland and i knew we were getting our demo unit of the 360 with call of duty 2 in it it was a demo and literally we were when i say we were building it i mean i had contractors in the building framing it and (laughs) and putting up fixtures and concrete and electrical and we had trucks coming in with this is when we had CDs, so hundreds of thousands of CDs and right. DVDs and VHS. And I was like, I know I have a display unit coming. And the second it came in, I set it up and played it. And everyone played it. It was a big deal. 
what the second thing I'll say, which directly attacks Ben Lindbergh, but also I think it actually makes his point even more um, strong. Strong is if you look up the a Toys R Us ad from two thousand from nineteen ninety six. Super Mario 64 costs $60. Right. Pilot Wing 64 costs $60. It's not... Call of Duty 2 didn't break that mold. Uh, there were Game Boy... Game Boy games that were $40. So, um, it was very common for games to be $60. In fact, I think the first console to break that was the Sega Saturn, which makes no sense because it should have been more expensive because they were on CD-ROMs. But they were only like they were only like a couple bucks lower than 60 bucks. Um, uh, I just, I think, uh, actually, maybe I'm going to eat my words. PlayStation 1, were, their games were 50 bucks. Mm-hmm. But it Genesis games were 60 bucks. $70. Yeah, it was cartridges that were expensive. Ultimate World Combat 3 and NBA Hangtime were $70 on the Genesis. Yeah. Cartridges were very expensive. SNES, $70 for Street Fighter Alpha 2, $60 for Donkey Kong Country. So I I think we were already living in a world where $60 was normal. But to his point, like, that makes this so much harder to swallow. I know we're only talking about $10, right? Mm -hmm. But in my lifetime, the economy has never been in a worse condition. Right. And now, I mean, BS has spent $10 more on a game and $300 more on a console than I would have when I'm comparing it to game prices, right? Right. So, you know, N64 was 200 bucks, And that I'm sure that was a lot of money in 1996 times. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the games <laughs> like are still $60. Like, like are you talking about that like it was so long ago? In 1996 <laughs> times. Yeah, that was like 14 years ago. Yeah. Uh, some of our listeners weren't even born yet. I know. Um, so yeah, I, I think when you when you compare it to games still being the same price, mm-hmm. that's where it becomes like so staggering, right? Right. So games since the NES have been sixty dollars, consoles are the ones that have, you know, and that that makes sense with technology. But why is it that these games aren't going up in price? Uh, you know, and I get, I get. I get processing power. Really, you're just buying data on mm-hmm. a disc or a cartridge. But um, I, I can't imagine that the technology used to develop these games is cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, absolutely. Uh, the article goes on to say, quote, over the past 15 years, the U.S. inflation rate has averaged about 2% per year. According to the Consumer Price Index inflation calculator maintained by the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, Fifty nine ninety nine in November 2005, when Call of Duty 2 came out, was equivalent to to in buying power to 79.02 in September 2020. The fifty nine ninety nine it took to buy Call of Duty 2 on launch day has been equivalent to more than $70 in present-day dollars since September 2012, which is more than a year before Xbox One and PS4 appeared. In fact, judging purely by inflation, an increase to $80 would be more consistent with past pricing. To say nothing of the exorbitant prices routinely attached to cartridge-based games in the 1980s and 1990s. High-end games have never been cheaper than they are right now. While I think this is a great point, 
and I tend to agree with this point. I think what you said earlier, Josh, is the really important thing of that. While all this is true, my buying power has not changed significantly, right? The amount of money I have yeah. has not really changed. So though this is all true, and I tend to agree, I, in general, agree with an increase in game prices because it, it seems like it's time for that. It just it just does. Uh, I do worry a little bit because while $60 for whatever reason was something that I could say, okay, I can buy a $60 game. $70, I don't know if it's just because it's new. That is a mental hurdle I am having a hard time getting over. Even though I said I'd be okay with it, and I am theoretically okay with it, I am definitely having a hard time committing to buying $70 games. So Josh, does this increase, because we have to assume, right, that eventually everyone's going to get on board with this. Obviously, back in the day, Call of Duty 2 was the first one to do it. It took a while. Everyone got there. Yeah. You know, we know that Cyberpunk is coming at 60 still. We know that Ubisoft is keeping it 60 for the holiday season or everything they've talked about. So at least through February. Sure. PlayStation, we know, has already jumped the gun. Um, NBA 2K is 70. Like, we know that the, uh, most things are probably going to go up. Is it more challenging for you to commit to buying a $70 game versus a $60 game? I mean, in a way, in a way, it is. Uh, it def- It's not easy for me to buy a sixty dollars game out of pocket casually mm-hmm. already. Right. Um, and it adds up, you know. Yeah. Like so, like I did the calculator, right? So two hundred bucks in nineteen ninety six is worth three hundred thirty one dollars, right? So, so a console like the N sixty four instead of two hundred bucks now, let's imagine. It's 331, right? I don't think that sounds terrible, but if you do $60 for a game, it's 99.53 in today's money. Yeah. That's bucks. That seems so much different than what I just said from 200 to 331. It seems right. so much more like that's a one like you buy a console to play games right so you're more willing to spend that money but when it comes down to like i feel finicky or i feel weird about complaining about a game going to 70 dollars. right i also i guess at a for, for my my own mind defense i don't think we're even talking about 70 dollars right now because that's not the prices we're hearing about <laughs> we're getting told 80, 90, yeah. 100 bucks for these games. We're not being told $70 games. I know that there will be $70 games. Mm-hmm. Uh, game consoles, I get financially why they launch in November. It's the worst time to launch when you're going to yeah. jack up the price of games. It's the holiday season. You're giving people no time to save. You're making people decide between presents. If you launch your consoles in February you get time to get your kid a console and a game and then save up and buy them three $70 games or whatever, or get a subscription to Gamefly if that's cheaper. But I think as much as my hesitance to $70 games, I think the bigger hurdle is that games haven't changed since 1985 in price. Yeah. That's the biggest hurdle for my brain to get over. If if like last year or if if ten years ago we were paying seventy dollars for games, this would wouldn't even be a topic. 
Yeah. But yeah, they go up they go up ten up ten dollars every ten years. I get it. But it you know it's just it is a hard pill to swallow. Right. What's even more interesting about it for me is that I regularly spend seventy dollars on games anyway because digital deluxe editions are usually ten bucks yeah. more. And I tend now there are more. <laughs> I, right. I tended to buy those anyway because especially if it was a game I was really interested in or I wanted to support the developer, I would kick in the extra $10 to do that. Well, now, like, A, I have to pay $70 just to get the base thing, and now it would be $80. i am like, oh, goodness. And DLC? Right, and then... $120? Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't know. It's just... Four more. I like, know. I paid, what, 100 bucks for Avengers? Yeah. That... Hey, make that $160 because that's what I would be spending. Yeah. Money wise. 99, <laughs> sorry, 2020 times to 2021 times. It's like a 50% inflation <laughs> on video games. <laughs> so, yeah, I just thought it was a really interesting article. So, I definitely encourage your reader to go or listener to go read it. Because, uh, <laughs> like I said, there is some good information in there. It does do a good job, I think, of talking about why from a developer perspective it makes sense for these games to go up and it also talks a little bit though about the mental hurdles that we as consumers sometimes face both in paying more for games but also when we look at games that are less expensive the challenges we sometimes associate with those too of like being inferior games yeah that if a game is less than 60 currently there are some folks and, and some consumers who are like, oh, it must not be as good then. Not that the scope of the game is smaller, right? So it, it'll be interesting to see how this continues. I do wonder if I'm pretty confident the $70 is going to become the norm. Like six months from now, eight months from now, it is just going to be what the AAA price of games is. If I'm wrong, so be it. I won't complain about that. <laughs> Excuse me. But I, I feel like that we are definitely going to go down that road and that Ubisoft and, and all of these other companies is just this holiday. And, and when we have the crossover games that are being released on both platforms, they might stick to that. But I think as soon as we get to next gen exclusives, I feel like $70 is for sure going to become the norm. But I do genuinely hope this helps or encourages companies to explore different prices for games that yeah. we have $50 games that we have $30 games from big studios too, not just from, indie game developers who are releasing less expensive games, but something like Star Wars Squadrons. Those yeah. size and scope games, I hope, hope, hope we get more of things like that because I think that is how you get some of the coolest experiences um, is by being able to play in different spaces and, and not have to invest literally hundreds of millions of dollars into making a game. Um, and that way you can charge a little less for it and still get your money back. So any final thoughts on that topic, Josh? Just interested to see where this goes. That's all. Uh, agreed. All right. Prediction time, Josh. New segment. What's going to be announced on Monday that's going to, we're not going to be able to talk about before the show releases on Tuesday? Uh, I mean, what? So there's like rumors that Microsoft is going to buy Steam. I think that's the create one that's insane. Um, but yeah, I'm going to just go ahead and Microsoft announces a Steam, um, we'll call it a partnership because I don't want to say that they buy them, but that was definitely. A hot rumor last week. Uh, so I guess I'm going to piggyback off of that rumor. Even though people on the internet like, were swearing, oh, Monopoly, Monopoly. I don't think it would qualify because Epic is you know, giving Steam a run for its money. But if Microsoft bought Steam, 
man alive. It would be <laughs> insane. <laughs> well, you know, I'm looking at this. I mean, it looks like they can afford them, so... Well, they can definitely afford them, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea how much they were worth, and it's actually a little less than I thought they were. But this is also an old number, so I don't know what it is today. So You're going to like Steam net worth? <laughs> well, I was looking at how much Valve is worth. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, so... And in 2012, it was $3 billion. Oh, so that's like half a Zenimax. <laughs> that's right, it's half a Zenimax. <laughs> Which, but, but by today's money, I'm sure it's more than that, because... Four I don't billion. Know. In 2012, <laughs> I don't. I mean, Steam was obviously existed, but I don't know that it was as ubiquitous as it is now. Maybe yeah. it was. I've never been a PC gamer, but yeah, yeah I, feel, the, I feel like it probably has to be close to that same Zenimax price, wouldn't it? If you're buying Steam, yeah, I think two two weeks before Series X launches, Xbox is going to announce they bought Steam. <laughs> so just play everything on PC. <laughs> Yeah, well, there's no point to have anything but an Xbox or a PC. They just sold through all their pre-orders, so I guess it really doesn't matter at that point. But that's a good one. That's a good one. Xbox buying Valve. Okay, cool. Uh, My prediction is that they're going to... Some major game is going to get delayed. I don't know what game that is, but something major is going to get delayed, which they usually don't do on Mondays, but I'm going to say that is happening this time. They're going to be like, hey, here's the good news. XYZ, cool thing is happening. Oh, but we had to delay the game, but then here's some other good news, too. Here's the good news. Cyberpunk went gold. Here's the bad news. Uh, China, and we can't ship our games. So we're delaying <laughs> the digital release as well. <laughs> yeah. and So that's what I think it's going to be. We'll see what happens, though. All right. Time for our recommendations for a well-rounded life. Obviously, we are a gaming podcast, but we want to give you one other thing we're currently into that's not gaming-related that's helping us live that well-rounded life. Josh, what's your recommendation this week? Hey, so I do this movie podcast. It's a horror movie podcast. It's called The Decade of Horror. We decided to do 2020 also because, I mean, technically the decade ended in 2019. Uh, If you do 2010 to 2019, but, you know, um, we did 2020. We watched a bunch of movies. In fact, I watched 14 movies, horror movies for 2020. Dang. And um, I included this movie, this movie, spoilers for the podcast. I shouldn't say. I'm not going to say this movie is talked about in the podcast, but I'm not going to say uh, to what context. I shouldn't spoil my own podcast. That would be <laughs> stupid. <clears throat> uh, this is a movie I loved so much that I at least talked about in our 2020 episode. Um, and I say that because this is not really a horror film, and I kind of cheated. Uh, <laughs> this movie is called Love and Monsters. Um, it's is only available on video on demand right now. Um, I the, My options were to buy it, well, to rent it for $20 or buy it for $24 in 4K. And I was like, oh, I'm going to buy it okay. uh, instead, like for $5 more, own it in 4K. Yeah, I'll do that. Um, this is a movie about um, an asteroid on a collision course with Earth where... All of the world's militaries do what Armageddon would have you do or think, and they launch, but they launch all their missiles at the asteroid to destroy it. Mm-hmm. So not quite Armageddon. Right. Uh, but what happens is the fallout from our own missiles comes back down to Earth, and basically, like Incredible Hulks, every living creature on Earth. So you get giant everythings. 
Um, it kills 95% of the world's population. So okay. people start living in colonies, like kind of similar to like Fallout. And the story picks up with this, the main character who he's in a colony and he happens to be the only person not coupled up in his colony. <laughs> but when the asteroid was coming down, he had a girlfriend who mm-hmm. was Jessica Henwick, who you would know from as Michelle Wing from Iron Fist or The Defenders um, from Netflix. Uh, she was also one of the daughters um, in Game of Thrones, of Daughters of the Sand, I believe is what they were called. Oh, okay. Um, and she was also an underwater with um, the, the relatively new um, underwater horror movie with Kristen Stewart, um, a, an actress I really like a lot. Uh, Michael Rooker is in this. Um, and it's basically a tale of this kid. He He's sick of being in this colony for seven years by himself, lonely. Everyone else is coupled up around him. And he's been in contact with his girlfriend. He found her colony and he decides, he finds out she's only 85 miles away. He's going to huff it out. But you also find out he's like kind of cowardly and self-admittedly. He's terrified of these giant ants and frogs and um, terrible monsters that were just usually tiny insects. Um, and he he decides to leave the colony and make this hike. Um, he finds a dog, which might be the most adorable dog I've ever seen in a movie ever. And the dog is so good in the film. Um, it, I, I said this on my horror podcast. I cried twice. I laughed a lot. <laughs> I jumped at least once. Um, it was just, it might be my favorite movie of the year. It was just oh, wow. so, it was just so good. Um, and what I, what I've come to expect in 2020 movies is not a lot of production. Right. Because of what's been going on. But this movie is a fully fleshed out film. Um, and uh, the special effects are great. Um, the story is compelling. And uh, it's funny and exciting. Uh, I highly recommend it. I can understand the hesitancy to pe- for people to buy it. So I'm not mm-hmm. saying go out and buy it. Because I don't want you to... Like, we might not have the same taste. So I don't want you to spend $25 on a movie you might not like. But keep your eye out for it for streaming services or uh, or a sale. But it's uh, it comes as a very high recommend for me. Very cool. That is Love on Monsters, currently in VOD. But keep an eye out for when it comes to something so you don't have to pay quite so much money for it. Uh, side note before I get to mine, uh, it looks like Mark Cerny, uh, person architect of the PS5 and the PS4, uh, apparently got the Platinum Trophy in Cuphead. So there you go. Mark Cerny, real good gamer, too. Yeah. Uh, my recommendation this week is something Josh has talked about that I've finally Ooh. gotten around to watching. <laughs> that I don't know if it's just because it's hitting me at the right time. I'm going to rewatch it eventually here. Uh, but it might be, have become one of my favorite shows. Ooh, like, period. Ooh, ooh. Ooh, and that is The Boys. Yay! It is so good, Josh. It is so good. And one thing that shocked me, and I'm so the whole show. <laughs> I am on the last episode of the second season, so that is, I stopped last night because it was like one in the morning, and uh, I decided I had to go yeah. to bed. I couldn't stay up to watch it. 
So I might still watch it after we're done recording tonight <laughs> and edit the podcast tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we'll see. But it's really good. It is way more violent in some ways than I thought it would be, but also more thoughtful than I thought it would be about a lot of things and really takes an interesting look at superheroes and the way superheroes uh, could exist in a world and what other things might happen if you had superheroes in a world. Uh, so I really enjoy it. It's I think when it comes to original programming on Amazon, I think it's their best original show. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I think I agree pretty with that. handily that it's their best original show. And I think it's probably in the upper echelon just of original programming for streaming services, period. I was super surprised that it has three and a half stars. I, I'm not surprised. It's very graphic. It is very graphic. People it, have a hard time with that stuff. Yeah. And it goes from not very graphic to super graphic. Instantly. In, <laughs> it like, yeah. In a step of a figure, you are thinking, oh my goodness, I did not expect that to happen. Wow, that's kind of gross. But For season two, they did a post show um, hosted mm-hmm. by Aisha Tyler. Oh, really? Um, like Kind of like Talking Dead. Um, it, it is kind of filled with some cheesy bits, mm-hmm. but if you can get there half an hour... I think 22 minutes. If you can get past that stuff, there's a lot of um, interesting, like behind the scenes stuff. If you really like into it, into it, that you right. learn. Like they have the cast and the creators and the producers on that talk, and even the costume designers um, that talk about like the stuff they went through. So I also thought that was very good. Gotcha. I will have to probably watch that then after I watch this final episode. But yeah, I didn't think I was going to like the show. I knew that I had a lot of hype behind it, but I will say I am thoroughly enjoying it. And honestly, once I'm done with it, I will probably give it a couple months and I think I probably go back and watch it all again because I just I really had a great time yeah. with it. I think it's a great <laughs> ride. So that is the boys. I know I'm way late on it. Everyone else has already watched it, but I think it's phenomenal. So if you haven't checked it out because you were like a little skeptical about it, uh, take a dive in. It doesn't really take long either to get going. No, it, go, it gets going from from get-go. <laughs> yeah, like it definitely is not a, oh, you have to watch three episodes to really get in. You're going to be hooked in an episode or two. And if, if, and if you're not, I I don't think the show is for you. Do you still go to your library? Uh, Not super, not right now, really, no. I should get start going back, though. If you do, grab the graphic novel. Okay. Um, I think you would enjoy that. Awesome. I will have to check that out as well. All right, hey, Josh, what do you say we wrap this uh, very short show up? What a short show we did. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us, everyone. In addition to finding us on Twitter and Instagram, and I'm going to lose my voice at some point in here, uh, so pardon the clearing as I waste my voice. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Board of Fiji. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Board of Fiji. Uh, so feel free to give us a five-star rating over there. Also, if you want to communicate in the more long form, or you're just not feeling social media, please feel free to email us at boardwithfiji at gmail.com. And we tag all our, well, we tag all our stuff with hashtag boardwithfiji. So please use that hashtag as well on all social medias. And whatever podcast service you're listening to us on, uh, we encourage you to give us a stellar rating. That is whether you're downloading us from the PSVG feed, the Dice Tower Network feed, or our very own standalone board with video games feed. Uh, again, uh, instead of plugs, I'm still plugging. Not my gamertag. I guess I'll plug my Twitch. It's why so serious? It's S I I R I U S temporarily. 
Um, a four extra life. Um, I want to say I'm very proud of first I met my goal and then I increased it a hundred bucks and then I met it again. Nice. So I'm, uh, uh, but that doesn't mean I have stopped raising money for children, which I'm still doing. In fact, I have two special tiers. If you just, you can donate whatever if you want, or you can donate for a specific thing. One of the donations is five bucks. So I have five left. Um, if you donate, I'll create a character for you uh, in Gears Tactics or um, Wasteland 3 and play for at least 30 minutes or or if you die um, in the game. And uh, also for $10, you can enter into a raffle to win a copy of Hades for the Nintendo Switch or Steam, which I'll give away while I'm playing Hades during Extra Life. Um, so if you want some incentives, those are two for you. If not, um, the money's going to Boston Children's Hospital, which is a great cause. Anything, like I said, is appreciated. Even a dollar, I'll take it. Kyle, where can people find you? So you can find me at all of the usual places. Twitter, Instagram, PlayStation Network, Xbox Live, Board Game Geek, all at Cyclocross, C-Y-C-O-C-R-O-S-S. As always, if you have suggestions for future topics, be sure to reach out to us on social media because we want to talk about what you want to hear about. And remember, everyone, whether it be board games or video games, never stop gaming.